I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And now um, from 1 Thessalonians. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all the holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Speak, O Lord, through your living and active word, by your Holy Spirit, Renew our minds, realign our hearts, and guide our hands as we seek to build com compelling community with a deeper affection. Amen. We live at an interesting time in history. Over a mere 100 years, the world has become smaller, closer, and more mobile. We can get to the UK in 24 hours 
we can get to Asia and back within a week. But of course, and as, all you, as you well know, the pandemic has changed all of that. No one is traveling, at least not easily. Distance has once again become a real thing. Now for us, this has meant that we haven't been able to see Yukiho's parents for nearly two years, nor any of our friends in Japan. I wonder if you're in a similar position. Perhaps there's someone that you haven't been able to see, in person at least, in recent history. What will you say when you see them again? What will be at the top of your list of things to talk about? What is the most pressing thing that you want to ask? In our study of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, we've seen that Paul remembers his time with them fondly, that when he brought the gospel to them, it came to them not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, and that as a result, they turned away from idols and toward the living and true God, and, and this is key for today, to wait for his son from heaven. We'll come back to that. Paul writes to encourage them, as the 1939 poster famously put it, to keep calm and carry on. But Paul didn't stay long with them, we discovered, and yet despite the brevity of his, of his time with them, Paul clearly has a, a very close relationship with this young church. Why? We'll look at that also in due course. But it's not all smooth sailing. Paul himself was persecuted and driven out of town, and the Thessalonians now also are facing persecution. Paul is worried about them. He hasn't been able to see them. He wants to know how they're doing. As we'll see in our passage today, Paul is principally concerned about their faith. That is to say, how they're doing in their walk with God. Remember what he told them when he was with them. Chapter 2, verse 12. I charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And how are they doing as they wait for the return of his son? He doesn't know, but he's desperate to find out. And fair warning now, as we come to hear the word of God today, you may receive a challenge from God as we seek to build compelling community with a deeper affection. Three points as we move through the passage today. First, this is in your outline, Paul's concern for their faith. Second, Paul's joy at their faith. And third, Paul's prayer for their faith. It's a gospel concern, a gospel prayer, and a gospel joy. First, Paul's concern for their faith. Now, having just written about their sufferings and the opposition they face, Paul writes in verse 17. And if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to follow along, otherwise it'll be in your outline. Verse 17. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Orphaned. Intense longing every effort. Do you see the intensity? Can you feel the urgency? Paul wants to see them. He wants to see their faces, and not only Paul, but Timothy and Silas also. They wanted to come, but they couldn't. Satan blocked their way. 
Now, the word blocked here means to use a strong measure in causing someone not to do something. And as I understand it, it's the word that the Romans, uh, what the word used to describe what the Romans would do when they would cut up the road to prevent an enemy from coming along. So the road, the way, is impassable. The way is shut. They cannot get through. Clearly, Satan does not want Paul and his companions to see them. And under the sovereignty of God, they are unable to do so. But do not be fooled. There is a real and significant spiritual battle going on here. So why? Why does Paul so desperately want to see them? He spent only a short time with them. We saw in Acts 17 that he he spent but three Sabbath days. That's just under a month at best. And yet they, and Paul especially, have a deep personal desire to see them. Why? He gives the reason in verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, and the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Isn't that powerful? You are our hope, joy, and crown. You are our glory and joy when the Lord Jesus comes. Our crown is not ourselves nor our achievements. Our crown is people and the work that God has done in them. Paul knows that the Thessalonian believers are precious. They are precious to him, precious to God, so precious, in fact, that the same son whom they await to come from heaven would die to deliver them from the wrath that is to come. And then there's a challenge in that already, isn't there? In our individualistic culture, it's very easy to focus on the me, my achievements, or what God has done for me. Jesus died for me. How often do we pause to think that actually, Jesus died for the person sitting next to you also? Paul longs to see the Thessalonians in the presence of the Lord Jesus on that great and glorious day. And it's for this reason that they send Timothy. Have a look at verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. They could bear it no longer. They had to find out how they were. Such was their love for them that they thought it preferable to be left alone in Athens. And they sent Timothy to them. He broke up the band. Paul repeats himself in verse 5, this time speaking for himself. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent it to find about... About what? About their faith. What matters to Paul is their faith. Not the size of the building, not the style of worship not even the quality of their morning tea. No, what matters is their faith. He wants to send Timothy to find about their faith. Why? And I prefer the KJV here. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. This is life or death. Amidst the spiritual maneuvering of Satan and the persecutions that assail them, 
Paul is concerned that there is a real possibility that this fledgling church may be tempted to give it up, to throw in the towel, to walk away from Christ, such that their labor might be in vain, be for nothing. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. Paul says that God did a work in their life, that God had chosen them, that God had elected them, and that the Holy Spirit had come upon them with deep conviction. And yet, Paul is worried about his, that his labor might be in vain, that they might fall away. How so? Well, as Christians, we can rest absolutely assured of our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. It's nothing we've done. It's entirely a gift from God. Make no mistake. But at the same time, we are required to do something. That is, to stay standing, to remain faithful, to not fall away. Paul puts it like this in Philistia in Philippians chapter 2. We also ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to keep going. We need to keep at it. The writer of the Hebrews puts the same idea this way. We need to hold fast our confidence in our hope, to hold our original confidence to the end. For truly it is impossible for those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and then fallen away to be restored again to repentance. And isn't this what the Lord Jesus himself taught? Some seed fell upon the rocky ground. They received it with joy and endured for a while. But when tribulation and persecution arose, they fell away. This is Paul's concern, that they, have, they might have fallen away. He is concerned for their faith. It's the love of a parent to a child. And indeed, Paul has used familial language all through the letter. Growing up, I can recall a handful of times when perhaps I was out later than usual, only to arrive home and find mum waiting for me, wondering where I was, whether I was safe. Paul is like a nursing mother, a father who guides. He was genuinely concerned about their faith. Second, Paul's joy at their faith. We then read that Timothy returned with good news, and Paul is overjoyed. Verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. It's okay. They're safe. They're doing fine. You can almost see Paul's sigh of relief. And not only that, but as we saw in chapter 1, they're thriving. Their faith in God has become known everywhere. Now, did you notice that Paul sent Timothy to encourage the Thessalonians in their persecution? But in fact, the Thessalonians are an encouragement to Paul in his. This is beautiful, truly beautiful. This is, this is what I call a, a gospel dynamic of a gospel relationship. I want this, I want this for us. 
And such was this encouragement that they are standing firm in the Lord that Paul says they really live. And this is what he says in verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Paul is overwhelmed with joy because of their faith. And this news fuels the love even more. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He doesn't think, all right, job done, they're fine, no need to visit, one less thing to do. No, rather, he prays that he might see them, that he might continue to supply what is needed to explain more of the gospel's claim on their lives. Finally, Paul's prayer for their faith. What does Paul hope for their future? He outlines his hope as prayers. Verse 11, first prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. He wants God, he wants God to overcome the schemes of Satan who puts obstacles in his path. He prays that he will see them. Second, hope and prayer that their love might continue to increase. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Love for each other, absolutely yes, but also love for everyone else. The Thessalonians are not to be a, a navel-gazing kind of church. The radical, powerfully countercultural and liberating gospel of Christ is far too good to keep to themselves. The last hope and prayer. He prays that their hearts would be strengthened. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He wants their faith to survive to the end. After all, Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So what does all this mean for us? Well, we've seen Paul's concern for their faith when he didn't know. We've seen Paul's joy at their faith when he found out. And we've seen Paul's prayer for their faith. What Paul is principally concerned about is their faith. Now, we don't know Paul. We aren't the Thessalonians. And remember, this is a letter for us, not to us. But that said, God is still speaking to us here today. He is still teaching us here from this passage. A person's faith ought to be a priority. I wonder where faith sits on our priority list, that of a not-yet-believer coming to faith, or that of a believer keeping the faith. When we finally see our friends overseas after so long, how concerned will we be about their faith? Does it even register? If we're really trying to build compelling community here at Churchill, I think it needs to. Building compelling community is not about getting closer to each other, then the church is no different to a social club. Rather, compelling community requires a deeper affection. I heard it helpfully illustrated recently like this. So imagine that I'm, as I am, standing here at the pulpit. Imagine Justin is over there at the lectern, 
And imagine that Jesus is standing beneath the stained glass. Now, the way for me to have a genuine, compelling gospel community with Justin is not for me to walk over to him, nor is it for him to walk over to me, but rather, as we both walk towards Jesus, do you see what's happening? As we walk towards Jesus, we come closer together. It's our mutual walking towards Jesus that creates gospel community, compelling community. And to walk towards Jesus is a walk of faith. What this looks like for each of us will be different, but let me offer two suggestions in closing. First, let me encourage you to put faith on the agenda at church. Perhaps it's chats after the service, conversations over lunch, meeting during the week, or even at community group. And perhaps you do that already. That's great. Let me encourage you to keep at it. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that they might keep calm and carry on, and we should too. Second, let me encourage you to put faith on the agenda among your households. For those of us that are married, wouldn't it be great to ask this question of our spouse? And if you've got young kids, their faith is important. Nurture it. As many of you know, and as Justin kindly just mentioned, Yukiho and I are expecting our first child in a few months' time. And so I've been doing a bit of reading. I recently finished Tony Payne's book, Fatherhood, which I'd recommend if you haven't read it already. So I'm personally and helpfully feeling the weight of parenthood and of fatherhood in particular. I want to lead the family where faith is a priority. But the good news is that we're not alone. We can be part of community groups. Personally, I've loved the two men's nights and I've been incredibly encouraged by both of them. There are ways that we can be intentional about growing. In one sense, the aim of the Christian life is to persevere, to persevere to the end. So let's get faith on the agenda. Let's be concerned for each other's faith. Let's rejoice in each other's faith. And let's be actively praying, specifically and personally, for each other's faith as we await that final and great day when we will be with Jesus together at his coming and into eternity. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, in whom alone we can have genuine, gospel, compelling community, we pray that by your word this morning, you would continue your work in our lives to draw us closer to your Son, that in doing so, we would have genuine community and that our love would increase all the more. For the glory of your Son, in whose most powerful name we pray. Amen.